Hello, everybody. Welcome to the B-Side, a podcast for the Film Stage website. Here, we talk about movie stars, not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones they made in between. My name's Dan Mecca. Today, I'm joined with podcast producer Connor O'Donnell, as always. Hey, Connor. Hello. And also a guest and a very good friend, Lucas Verga, who is a sales agent of many different films, indie and the like. We've known this guy for a long, long time through trivia, through mutual friends. Lucas, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Dan. So, yeah, I mean, it's been years and now we're here for what has to be the moment we've all been planning for, (laughs) which is... To get on the six, to talk about the wow herself, Jenny from the block, Jennifer Lopez. If you're listening, Hustlers is most likely out in theaters right now. Go see it. I'm sure it's great. None of us have seen it because we're recording it before it came <laughs> We're out. speculating. We're assuming it's going to be the yeah. best but if movie the, of the year. If the tra- yeah, if the, tra- <laughs> if the trailers are any indication, it's the best movie ever made. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see it. Um, and hopefully it is as good as we all hope it's going to be. I, Fun fact, I did not know who Lizzo was until I was with my sister and we were talking about the movie and she was so excited. And she was most excited about Lizzo and I did not know. And I felt a thousand years old. And then she gave that great performance on the VMAs, which I obviously did not watch, but then watched later. So suffice it to say, I feel like I'm dying that's okay (laughs) um but so jennifer lopez we'll talk about the b-sides um i guess we'll line up what they are to start just so you have an idea of kind of what we're going to talk about we're gonna start with an early movie of hers i think she you could say she had just become a star 1997's u-turn then we're gonna jump to uh, 2001's Angel Eyes I'm just looking as I'm as I'm talking about it then we're gonna go to number three 2013's Parker and then last but not least 2015's The Boy Next Door so kind of covering two different parts of her career a lot of times we'll focus on a chunk in the middle but i think for jayla we wanted to kind of jump around because she has had quite an eclectic career in terms of genre at the very least so um yeah i think it's a it'll, it'll give us a lot to talk about before we get into the specific movies let's talk about jayla in our lives do we what do we remember what was our first jayla experience what are the things that stand out to this day that we remember from when we were growing up with uh, Jennifer Lopez. Let's start with you. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Anaconda is like the one that immediately pops to mind. And it is a movie that I don't know if I've ever seen it in sequence. I think I've just always seen it on TNT at various points, but it's the one that stands out the most along with made in Manhattan, which I vividly remember seeing in theaters and remember liking, even though I went to the theater kicking and screaming. But yeah, really Wayne like Wayne Wang's yeah. in Manhattan. It's a great, it's a really good movie set in a world where Ray Fiennes is a very charming Republican, I believe, is like the whole conceit. Right. Um, no, and I, think I that's love the Ray, line. Yeah. It's just <laughs> made in Manhattan. Ray Fiennes it's is just a, a charming Republican. Republican. And I love Ray Fiennes' yeah. quote about that movie is he, <laughs> someone asked him about it and he said, 
he would never do a movie like that again, but he wanted to try something new, so that's why he did it. I just love the idea of like, that feels on brand. Yeah, his yeah. agent just being like, "Rafe, why don't you do something light?" And he like did it, and he was like, "All right, never again." <laughs> but he's so good in it. That's no, I agree. He's yeah. It's a it's a bummer that he didn't wasn't like I can be charming more, right? As opposed to just like I will double down now on being a villain or or like very broad or very broad. Exactly. Would well, that it were now, so simple. Yeah, and now that we now we talk about we only just talked about a last you know in the Gerard Butler episode, um, he directs right because he yeah. directed Corey Lannis and uh, what is it the White Crow right from this year? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Connor, what about you? What was your first J Lo? What do you what, yeah, what do you my, recall? Yeah, mine I think was Anaconda as well, at least from a movie standpoint, because I don't think I caught uh, like because Money Train was before Anaconda. Yeah. Right? Um, but I don't think I caught that until until much later. Um, yeah, yeah, Money Train was early. Money Train was ninety five. Yeah, I, so I don't Money think Train I caught was that before until, until later. Yeah. That, so so for you it was Anaconda. Yeah, I remember there was a in in the town where I grew up. There was like a like a second run dollar theater, and I remember my dad and I like being kind of bored like one su- that summer like in the afternoon. We were just, I was just like let's just go see this Anaconda movie. Uh, and yeah, and well, and also Connor, from where you're from in Orange County, there are a lot of anacondas, right? Yes, <laughs> yeah, it's home home of the anaconda, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah, famously. Yeah. So yeah, I think I mean I guess to broaden it, the music I feel like was definitely the thing with J Lo that I remember because I remember waiting for tonight, and I remember when she hit so big, and I guess I saw Anaconda, but I definitely didn't see it in theaters. I remember watching selena when it was on tv and really really loving it actually I, I remember that being one where i was younger i must have been 10 or 11 and that was a, where i like didn't know who selena was right and you watch yeah. that movie mm-hmm. and it was like learning about this you know a culture i didn't really i wasn't fully aware of you know growing up you know an hour north of new york city in kind of the suburbs you know predominantly white suburbs um uh you know in uh in new york state so that was like that. I remember that being exciting to me. That whole movie, um, and that was obviously her star making performance. Ninety seven in general was kind of her star making year. That was, you know, February. She's in Blood and Wine, which is an underrated Bob Ralphison movie with um, Jack Nicholson, J Lo, and Stephen Dorff, and Michael Caine's in that too, right? I think so. Yeah. And then. Only a month later is Selena, and then only a month after that is Anaconda, and then later on that year is our first B-side U-turn, which is directed by Oliver Stone. Was it directed though? <laughs> That's yeah. my or question. Or was it just yeah? Was it just experienced? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and recorded. What a, what a film! It's I guess a, let's let's dive into it. Right, so much movie yeah. U-turn yep. to process. And just to confirm, Michael Caine is indeed in Blood and Wine. Uh, there it is. Ten points. Yes. yes. And before we talk about U-Turn, lest we ever forget that uh, one of her first movies after Money Train was a little movie called Jack, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. I thought about, when we were putting together the four movies that we were going to do, I thought about including Jack, but it is just such an infamous, like thing in history that I I shied away from it. It's also one of those things where I feel like this will be sort of a recurring trend in her career, but she works with a lot of really interesting directors on some of their worst movies, like Jack and 
Gili and you turn to a certain extent, depending on how you feel about Oliver Stone. Right. So she has like an not she doesn't have an unimpressive track record right. in terms of like her choices. Yeah. And you can obviously see why she makes any of the choices that she makes. Yeah. They just happen to be. She takes these big swings. Yeah. And just misbegotten. Well, yeah. And I will talk about this. My big maybe JLo take from a B-side point of view. And I was talking about this with uh, Kelly last night when we watched The Boy Next Door is I kind of think she's usually pretty good. But yeah, a yeah. lot of the movies she's made are just not quite as good as she is. No, you know, that's I one hundred percent. I I think that's I, feel. I think that's pretty much accurate. I'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to Angel Eyes. Yeah, but like, oh, Angel that's, Eyes, my that's God, like Angel that. Eyes. But that's that's I think her her mo for better and worse. I guess. Yeah. Uh, oh, totally. Is that she's sort of? Yeah, I don't know. Like she's fully committed. Like, yes, without a doubt. Yeah. In and, and charismatic. Like, yeah. She's a good actor. Like, you it's, get why it's she there. became a movie star. It's just, and some of these projects are just so crazy. Yeah. 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 I mean, U Turn well, so, really is. Yeah. So, speaking of crazy, U Turn, right? October 1997, Oliver Stone movie. Now, look, for context, we, we, we must remember Oliver Stone now is not the Oliver Stone of then, which is to say, even in 97, where Nixon wasn't a big hit, but did earn a lot of Oscar nominations. And a lot of people now consider it kind of a lost masterpiece, which I don't know if I agree with. But only a couple years before that, he's making JFK, which is a monster hit and really interesting movie, Oscar nominee. Along with, you know, uh, The Doors, you know, I think in 91, 92, right? He's making Heaven and Earth, which is his crazy kind of alt-Vietnam movie, which that's like a blank check movie, right? That's a movie you make when you have success making a crazy conspiracy movie like JFK, you know? Mm -hmm. So he still has so much clout in 1997. So U-Turn makes a little bit more sense when you think about that. I mean, this is still a powerhouse director at the time. Totally, totally. Yeah. And it's not and that long after Natural Born Killers, which has some of the same totally. kind vibe. of desert vibe. Yeah, yeah. very, very, just And also not, I feel like we yeah, always bring out. up yeah. yeah, I feel like when we talk about movies from this era, we always bring up Pulp Fiction, but it also, ha you know, it's this thing, I feel like you have to talk about it. It is also in that kind of Pulp Fiction-y, self-effacing, irreverent, too cool for school style, or at least it's trying to be, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So John Ridley writes a script. It's based on his own novel, right? John Ridley, Oscar winner of, you know, 12 Years, 12 a, slave. Years a Slave, right? Um, and just generally talented, you know, freaking dude, you know, uh, what was the name of this show? American crime. Right. I mean, yeah. yep. he's done a lot of interesting stuff. Um, and this movie, uh, I mean, I guess let's talk what the premise is. Sean Penn is in a car. He's beaten up. He's missing two fingers. They're all wrapped up. He's, he's in Arizona. His car begins to break down. He literally comes to a fork in the road and he can either go to this town that's like three miles away or go the other way. And, you know, most likely the car will break down and he'll have to walk tens of whatever's miles. Right. So the only real choice is for him to go to this small town. And so he does pulls up to a mechanic shop, you know, full hick styled Billy Bob Thornton is there ready to work on the car. 
Sean Penn immediately reveals himself to be an unrepentant fucking asshole, which is it's, one of the, weird, it's one of the toughest parts of this movie. Is, actually. Is, yeah. a, is a weird choice with the movie because really from Jump Street, you're like, well, this guy's horrible and I hate yeah, him. So right. that's not that movies can't have unlikable characters, but there should be some sort of in. <laughs> like, and, and it's never clear like what exactly like, you know, he's supposed to get out and repay this guy back in Vegas. He owes money to some sort of Eastern European right, mob. Has a bag of money. Right, yeah, yeah, but it's never clear, like, why he borrowed the money. You, They sort of allude to the fact that he was a tennis professional, and then he stopped being good at tennis. Like, you don't really know. You get his backstory yeah, in like bits I, and pieces in a way yeah, that's not, doesn't it's, help you add up to yeah. anything. No, yeah, it seemed like he was essentially a degenerate who became a bag man mm-hmm. who was bad at being, a ba- you know what I mean? Like, right. just, uh, like a, a, a fuck up, right. Who, who had success at one point and that's why he thinks he's, his shit doesn't stink type mm-hmm. of deal. But once again, that description alone, so very unlikable. Anyway, he, he, so he leaves the car with Billy Bob Thorne, who I did, I will say, I did actually love Billy he's, Bob Thorne. He's in this pretty movie. good. Yeah. I think he yeah. and Powers Booth are like the only two people who sort of yeah. are fully keyed into yeah. what they should be There's doing a, well, in this movie. Uh, we'll get to it. Other people key in, but it's just the their existence. Right. You're like, Whoa, okay. Well, uh, and it was cool. Yeah. Powers Booth, who it reminded me is in a super underrated Walter Hill movie, Southern Comfort, from like 1980. If you, that's just that's like a way B side, but if you get a chance. Check that movie out. It's pretty interesting. Um, kind of like military training movie. Um, and so he goes into town. Sean Penn goes into town. And he just essentially encounters a slew of crazy caricature people, right? So John Voight's this blind oracle type of a character, homeless guy with a not dead, dead dog. And he's putting on this insane voice, which is funny because this same year, only six months before this movie, he's doing an even crazier accent in Anaconda. It's basically, it feels like he, it feels like they took a day off or like not a day. It feels like they took a couple days off Anaconda, shot this movie. Like back to finish the rest of that. Right. And like, and he basically didn't even switch gears. He was like, let me maybe be Native American. Yeah. He has an accent that, he has several accents in his movie in this movie that just kind of come in and out and it's unclear what yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack with John. Yeah. It's like <laughs> I just it came he came on and I literally was like, what is I know. happening? Yeah. Like it, even more so honestly, even more so than Anaconda, because Anaconda at least is like a fully formed caricature in terms of like he's he's uh what is it uh the the quint character you know what i mean from from jaws right but he's like colombian obviously the biggest problem is that he's being played by john voight but even that aside like i I get that whole package right so when he shows up you're like okay well it's weird that it's him doing this but like i get what's going on with this it feels like they literally like they like raided the closest wardrobe closet and we're just like let's throw this on you and like just Make well, it just I, go. Yeah. Just make it up. Yeah. In he, the end credits, there is there was one crew member whose res- whole responsibility was John Voigt's design. If you if you like watch the end credits, there was like one person who that you know, it was yeah. like John Voigt's design by this person. <laughs> so they could um, shift so they could put the blame on one person. There was this movie so, had a professional John Voigt Wrangler right, his job yeah, it was, exactly. was just to like yeah. hold on to him. He's like, John, come here. We got to put your eye patch on or whatever. 
But so, and then it basically the movie becomes purgatorial, right? It's like, so he, Sean Penn keeps on running into this bad luck. He meets Nick Nolte. Or I guess first he meets Jennifer Lopez, who is just this young, hot, you know, woman walking down the street. Sean Penn tries to pick her up. They go back to her house. She kind of comes on to him, but then doesn't. They get caught in the middle of necking, essentially, by Nick Nolte, who's her husband, who's this obviously older gentleman who is clearly like a power player in this really small town. And um, and this was when, lest, lest we forget, Nick Nolte, six years before this movie, was deemed the sexiest man alive by People magazine. This is maybe, I was thinking about this, this is maybe the last time, maybe Thin Red Line was, but this was maybe one of the last times that he even barely looked like a human. Yeah. Right? Like, because now Nick, Nick Nolte is just like a pile of meat. With well, a, I mean, watching Parker as well, yeah, which he's also which in. Which he shows like, up and you're like, that's yeah. the same guy. And I saw Angel yeah. Has Fallen last week where he plays Gerard Butler's father. And that he, feels appropriate. Yeah. But it's one of those things where you're just like, I don't know where they found what rock they found him under because <laughs> he is just like. So but in truth, old. like I re- but it's funny because I remember my mom who like loves Barbara Streisand thinking Nick Nolte was this handsome hunk in the Prince of Tides days, which and is he, only he, the early 90s. Like I can yeah. understand it. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It is. He's I mean, guys, I love trouble. 1994. Yeah. <laughs> Unless we, I I love trouble. Julia Roberts, Nick Dolte. Julia, Julia Roberts said he. Julia Roberts was quoted saying that Nick Dolte was like the worst human alive after they finished making that movie together. And I think she said kissing him was like kissing an ashtray. I think is the that's other. right. That's yeah, right. That's he there. looks like an ashtray. Yeah. Like in this movie too. Like I mean, in this movie, he this movie feels like Nick Nolte on a Tuesday. Yeah. Like yeah. He's he just is such a I. I find Nick Nolte's career arc is weirdly very fascinating of like, he was sexiest man alive. And then he just became like a walking piece of like beat up pavement that we <laughs> put in movies. Well, and the fact that he got this, you know, the sexiest man alive was after almost 20 years in the bit. You know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. like he was a new star. I mean, he had had this whole career in the eighties. He was a TV star in the seventies, you know, like he had all this, you know, this big filmography, a lot of good stuff too. I mean, he was no joke and it's just so interesting to see, you know, where it all went. So anyway, he's this, you know, businessman and pretty much he catches them in the act, um, gives Sean Penn a ride, you know, away from the house, right? Probably back, I I, I think to the diner, I, I believe. Yeah, it's and, yeah. And in the ride is basically like, could I pay you to kill my wife? Right. She's got an insurance policy, uh, you know, and Penn's like, no, I won't do it. And this is where you kind of, the idea is, I guess he has these moral limitations that obviously he'll get pushed to the brink of as the movie goes on. And then he, and then Joaquin Phoenix is in it. Who's dating Claire Danes. And they're this like young couple that are, are all complicated. And Joaquin Phoenix just wants to fight anybody who looks at Claire Danes and powers booth is the sheriff. Walking um, Phoenix, who who is introduced with the needle drop of uh, Johnny Cash, right? Which I thought was funny. Oh, yeah, exactly. Completely. Yeah. And um, Julie Haggerty is the waitress. I actually liked seeing yeah, Julie she's, Haggerty. She's Love great. her. Yeah. Uh, can we also just talk briefly about Laurie Metcalf as the bus 
uh, Depot woman. And Liv Tyler. Yeah, right behind and Liv you. Tyler. What was that? Who like shows up and doesn't have a line. Yeah. Like, literally, she's literally, she's literally just like, reaction. I want to buy a bus ticket and Laurie Metcalf just closes the door on yeah. her and she's, we never she's, see her. She, I kept, I that whole scene, I was like, oh, it's going to be like a little moment with Liv Tyler where she does a thing. And no, she's just, she's an extra. Yeah. It's like, that's it. It's yeah. so They funny. must have filmed something and just cut it, right? I mean, there must have been something. Yeah, or I mean, I mean, this whole movie feels like it was shot 10 minutes away from where everybody lived. Yes. Right? Like, it, it, so in that regard, it feels like Oliver Stone's just making it and like either, you know, Liv Tyler had, you know, was around or like Oliver Stone bumped into Steven Tyler and was like, hey, I'm <laughs> Is shoot- live here? I'm, yeah. yeah. And I'm, or I'm like, hey, I'm shooting this movie that's like 10 minutes away. Tell her to come by set tomorrow. I right. need like somebody to be in this bus stop or whatever. Like it feels like that. And not even really in a bad way. Like there's a, I, I hesitate to use the word, but there's a quality to this movie that like feels in the spirit of like a detour. Right. Yeah. Like like you can you can feel oh, certainly. you can yeah. feel the intention behind the movie. So it doesn't feel like an accident necessarily. And it it I would almost say like it almost makes it there, at least in terms of its like components. Like there are things in it that I'm like, yeah, this this had potential to be like a really fun, bizarre, whacked out movie. Yeah, if you kind of strip this movie down to its basic parts, it's like, yeah, this feels like it could be a very nice self-contained thriller yeah and just i feel like that was probably what the script was and that was probably what attracted everyone to it and then oliver stone was just like and then i want to do like all these weird detours and cr- like the amount of just shots there's so many unneeded unnecessary he like shots. cuts to black and white yeah for no and he like speeds and... up film stuff like yeah it, he just does all these crazy sort of trippy desert visuals that aren't needed to it it's, yeah, I mean, I when it when it's messing with film stocks, I enjoyed it visually, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like doing different, you know, scratchy textures, and there's a clear, maybe not clear, but there is a sense of, you know, when they're in the desert, one film stock's being used. When they're in the town, it's a little bit more traditional, like Panavision, right? Thirty-five millimeter. Like there is a feeling of style there, but like a lot of, I guess, lesser. Uh, Oliver Stone, it it does feel so scattershot that you kind mm-hmm. of don't ever. There's never no, anything to grab onto. And Jennifer Lopez, who we haven't really talked too much about, she is ultimately the femme fatale character, right? Yeah, and she's like both I think the femme fatale and the yeah, the damsel in distress, right, basically right. at the same time. You know, and and I think she she's doing a decent job here and she famously kind of fought for this role. There's so there's this interview that she get, she did with movie line called Jennifer Lopez, the wow, which I'll link to in the description. It's this, she burned a million bridges when she gave this interview. She's claimed that it's taken out of context after it came out in this interview. And there are amazing, there are a billion amazing quotes in this. She talks about fighting to get this role and how Oliver Stone like wasn't taking her seriously in the audition and she had to basically get his attention in different ways, you know, and all this stuff. And it's obviously not a very flattering portrayal of Oliver Stone, but there's so many non-flattering portrayals of him. Yes. But um so it's it's interesting to then see her in this movie where I think she's giving it her all, like we've talked about before, and I think she's basically always doing that. But I would be curious what this character looked like on the page because 
there is so much to the character I, in terms of, you know, what you find out about her and her different motivations. But ultimately, partly because of the scattershot nature, she is an enigma, which I guess you could argue is what a femme fatale is meant to be. But that I feel like is giving the movie too much credit. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think anything we would say positively about this movie would almost be like giving it too much credit because it is it's such a mess. Um, and again, I see the intention like I can see I can see the the logic and like everything that put it together. It almost feels like a more like a less successful version of what and maybe this, this is almost like a I think Oliver Stone in a nutshell, at least for me, stylistically is like it's like a less successful version of like what. Tony Scott does years later with Domino Mm -hmm. where like that's a movie that goes off the rails visually doesn't necessarily feel entirely cohesive visually like it it feels like Scott in that movie is doing what we're saying Oliver Stone is doing with this where he's like just trying things and whatever but Scott's able to kind of rein that in with that movie and allow it to be a little bit of this fever dream which is what this movie does as well this sort of like peyote infused trip through the desert kind of thing um but um but it's like way i don't know it just he goes off the rails it feels like um when especially when he like uh, you know as the movie unravels into this like you said this purgatorial like just nightmare for sean penn I mean, it doesn't work because he's so unlikable, right? Where if he's more likable, you're like, oh my God, this is insane. I right. want you to get out of this. Um, which I will say, I mean, again, it must work. It must have worked to some degree because I was watching this with my fiance. And as we were watching it, she was saying, she's like, I just feel really bad for Sean Penn. And I was like, do you? <laughs> like, I, which I don't know. I guess it, it worked on some level. Um, but I just, I couldn't give two shits about him. And then, you know, Lopez, they do this thing with her where, for a minute, they make her the smartest person in the room, which is fun because, like, obviously, she's so just rampantly objectified throughout the course of the movie that it's nice to obviously see her be the smartest person in the room to a certain degree. And then it just trips over itself where, like, everybody needs to die because it's an Oliver Stone movie. Um, and and they, just the reveals with Nick Nolte it just feels so gratuitous. And I'd be curious to read the book because I, yeah. I would want to know if A, that stuff was in there and B, if just if the book just plays better. I well, don't know. And even some of the twists, like the twist at the end with Powers. Spoilers, I guess. Yeah, spoilers whatever. for U-Turn. Yeah, but the twist at the end with like, oh, she sort of played the same game with Powers Booth and is trying to see if he can help her get out. Like, Right, she's just trying to get out of yeah, the town. It, which way it's not, yeah. it doesn't have a sort of stunning reveal. It just feels like, oh, this movie's really just throwing everything, everything right. at you. And I know, I don't remember if it was Roger Ebert's review, but someone's review uh, basically just kept comparing it to Red Rock West, which it does feel like. Yeah, Oliver Stone. Worse. Yeah, Oliver yeah. Stone just saw Red Rock West and was like, I want to do that. And then couldn't quite figure out how to keep it lean and efficient the way that movie that movie is. does that movie's yeah. great that's yeah, I, i'm a big yeah. big fan of that movie yeah i mean and this is a step i mean just to wrap it up with j-lo i mean this is a stepping stone to her career the movie underperforms it makes less than seven million dollars at the box office uh like we mentioned it's the last movie in a very successful 1997 for her where she has two you know modest hit and selena that becomes more of a cultural phenomenon and I think is a good lead into her music career, right? Because then only a couple years later, she'll have her 
uh, studio debut album on the six, right? And then Anaconda's a surprise hit. And then in 98, right, you have Out of Sight, which isn't a hit hit, but she is critically well regarded in, in that movie. I still think it's probably her best performance. I would agree with that. It's right yeah. up there. Yeah, right up there. And then, you know, The Cell, which performs pretty well. The Tarsam movie is 2000. And I think where she really becomes the J-Lo that then persists throughout the decade is The Wedding Planner, right, in 2001 with Matthew McConaughey, which is not in any way, it's a pretty standard rom-com. In some ways, uh, kind of more ridiculous than most rom-coms, but performs admirably. She's definitely charming. I think that's a great example of they have negative chemistry in that movie. It's insane, actually, like Matthew McConaughey and Jennifer Lopez. I think that movie's loved by some people, but they it literally appears, it's one of those movies where if you, like, told me they figured out a way to film without either of them ever being in the same room. <laughs> You'd be like, like okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of makes sense, you know, but, um, and then that same year, summer release, May, 2001, May 18th, 2001, <laughs> our second movie, Angel Eyes, Luis Mandoki, who we've brought up before on this podcast. He directed, when a man loves a woman, which I'm a big defender of. When we, we we brought that up when we talked about Meg Ryan. Right. Um, this movie, okay, I came into researching for this episode, thinking I really liked this movie. You, remembering when we that mentioned I liked doing J Lo, you were kind of like, "Oh yeah, we got to do Angel Eyes." That, this, yeah, because yeah. I I had this memory of you know, and I've said this before when I was a younger. Uh, lad my mom would rent movies and then you know she would get busy and the blockbuster they would just be sitting on the you know on the tv stand whatever and there were so many movies that i probably would have never rented that i ended up just watching because they were there right and i remember one of them being angel eyes and i i have a recollection of loving like just being enthralled by the mysteries in the movie the ultimate like reveal of why he calls himself catch <laughs> and all of these things and, and rewatching it. I just was so baffled. I mean, look, we speak about the death of the studio movie these days and the middle brow movie, you know, but when you watch a movie like angel eyes and you see that the production budget was reported at $53 million, it makes no sense. You, you say maybe, there's a reason that these, you know, these studios ended up, you know, putting all their money into the big superhero movies because if you greenlight too many angel eyes, <laughs> yeah. at some point you have to be like, what are we doing? So Connor, I'm gonna let you describe the plot. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Um, <laughs> by so, the way, this came out the same week as the first Shrek movie. So how about that? Wow. I, I mean, that's probably part of its failure but let's not give shrek too much credit yeah. <laughs> a knight's tale is in its second week and the mummy returns is in its third week wow angel just glowing, glowing week for yeah. cinema huh and angel eyes just bringing up the rear yeah yeah um exactly. i do i do like a knight's tale a lot though yeah um yeah so anyway so j-lo jennifer lopez is a uh it's a she's a cargo police officer um Movie opens, we're basically introduced to her helping somebody in a car accident. Uh, and again, I don't know if this is really a spoiler because I feel like the movie wants you to put it together 
pretty quickly. Like, I don't think the movie tries to shy away from it. Basically, this person is Jim Caviezel. Right. Um, and essentially, Jennifer Lopez is, she's estranged from her uh, her family because she, her family consisting of uh, Jeremy Sisto, right? Who who also played The one Jesus. and only. Oh, she's yeah. In a movie it's with a big Jesus movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, and but Sonia yeah. Braga is her her, mom. her mother, and then uh, Victor Argo is her her father. Basically, she's estranged from her family. Uh, you don't know why at first. It's later revealed. It's because she arrested her father when he was in the midst of, of physically abusing their mother, and sort of they you know they've since thought it was you know they thought it was over the top, and they sort of stopped talking to her. Um, basically. That's also sort of in the midst of her back and forth with Terrence Howard, who's her partner, um, and uh, and is essentially, um, you know, kind of her voice of reason throughout the movie. Uh, not that she really needs one. I don't know. It's yeah. very strange. There, I kept forgetting Terrence Howard was in the movie. Yeah, it's a, it's a little. It's yeah, a kind little of one weird. of the one of the great sins of the movie is that exact point. Connor is like, why does she need a voice of reason? Right, like. He, it's you know yeah, it's it's really strange. Yeah, she Granted, arrested her dad for beating the bizarre. shit out of yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but, but oh, but, true. I guess that part yeah, of it, but like that relationship, yeah, it, true, like true, that's true. certainly weird. But basically, very early on in the movie, and I wrote this in uh, in my notes. There's like a shoot up at a diner that's motivated by nothing. There's no right. They never explain so because they take happened. they take this one dude in who's like this disgusting guy. Yeah. Right. And he's like basically tries to like, you know, physically assault her in the police station and all that. And then like what I love is he tries to physically assault her. She like pulls a move on him and then handcuffs him. And ha- Terrence Howard looks at her like, why did you just do that? And it's like he just assault you just assaulted a police officer. Like, you know why she just right. did that. Anyway, whatever. The movie's full of shit like that. But yeah. I'll, I'll ignore all that stuff. Uh, basically. So I thought that the shoot up at the diner was connected to that. Right. But it's like not. It's like, never explained. The guy. Well, the guy who then. So the shooter happens and then there's a foot chase and J-Lo confronts the the one of the people who responsible for the shootout. And he makes mention of. Of of this some is for sort my of, brother. Or yeah. Something like he like says something like that. Is, so there is so some is like revenge okay. thing. I, I don't know. Anyway. The movie doesn't do a great job. Okay. If they I are missed related. that completely. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, oh, no, right. It's very sloppy. Yeah. And so basically all, all it really is, and that like nothing comes of the shootout in terms of police work after right. that, it is essentially. And they all say like, oh, everyone was fine. No yeah. one got harmed. No, they literally, yeah. <laughs> and they do the thing of like one of the cops, because they're all in a diner. It gets shot up in a drive-by, basically. They chase the guy down. They catch him. Courtesy also of Jim Caviezel, who's like looming. And meanwhile, this is sort of, all of J-Lo's life stuff is getting cross-cut with Jim Caviezel's life stuff. He's basically a caretaker to this older woman. Uh, and essentially, other than that, he's like an enigma. Um, you you almost would be forgiven for thinking like, oh, is he just like dead? Like, is he just like a dead dude? Just well, and like he's like, and he's like, like a do, he's like a do-gooder, but like a very weird do-gooder, yeah, right? Like I, he he turns off a guy's lights and the guy gets mad at him understandably because yeah. somebody was in his he car. He literally Jim, walked into his car and, and turned off, turned off lights. the lights. Right. Yeah. As where he could have just waited for the guy freaks. said, Hey, right. just your lights are on. Right. Like, well, yeah. 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 And like Jim Caviezel freaks yeah. out at the guy and, you know, 
once again, just the the movie the the movie takes weird sides, right? Like you're like the movie's so sympathetic towards the Jim Caviezel character, and then you obviously find out why. But a lot of his actions are kind of hard to defend. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's very and, it's very bizarre, and like it, I don't know, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so he basically winds up he's he's been following Jennifer Lopez. Um, and again, I will say the movie toes a line where objectively it is creepy, but the movie, I think, imbues itself with enough mystery that you're like, there must be a reason he's doing this as opposed to just like voyeuristic. He's a creep. creep. Yeah. yeah. So like the movie kind of gets away with that a little bit, I will say, barely. And then he helps out in the shootout, basically saves her life. Because uh, a, a guy tries to shoot her and he stops, or does shoot her, right. hits her in her vest. He he essentially stops the guy. That's how he sort of works his way into her life. There, then a scene later, <laughs> to your point, everybody's fine. They do the thing where one of the dudes is like in a sling, and he's yeah. just like, As, but at the local cop bar, and they're just, all just yeah, they're you get the idea. J Lo's just one of the guys, right? And you know how I know that because every joke she makes. Is about some dude's wife. She's yeah. like, well, your wife doesn't think that. Your wife, your, I think one of my notes literally was like, your wife, your wife, your wife. There's like, like that one cop who all their conversations are, are like, about <laughs> like, what do you your wife have to say about that? Yeah. Do, yeah. I, I have a feeling this dude goes home and just cries because he realizes he's in like a loveless marriage or, or something. Or it turns out his wife doesn't exist. <laughs> right. and she's just yeah. making she's fun of She's been dead for years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so she's just clowning around with these other cops. Jim Caviezel shows up in the bar. She stops. They, that's just, you know, they buy the two of them around because, you know, they get the, the other under like undercurrent, not even undercurrent, it's brought up several times, is she's like undersexed, right? right. Basically. Um, like she needs to get laid, right? Terrence Howard like brings that up a couple times. And so none of them really care that she basically gets into a relationship with like, um, a mentally they like, unstable homeless sort, man. Like Terrence Howard sort of mentions, like I tried Googling him or ran him through the system and couldn't find him, which yeah. is a little strange, although because surely there would have been a record of the accident, which she sort of finds later, but maybe he just searched under catch yeah. and not whatever his yeah, like actual does, name is. He doesn't do great police work. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. And so Well yeah, and the only the only way that she learns who he is is there's actually a scene that I still quite enjoy that I remember really liking when I first saw the movie at a jazz club where they're like a f- Caviezel and Lopez are like officially a thing and right. they go to a jazz right. club for like a benefit and he random Jim Caviezel catch randomly gets up on the stage and also, I love in movies when shit like this happens because this would never, like, there would never be a band that would allow some random dude to get up. But anyway, he just gets yeah, up on no the stage. There's no sign that says it's open mic night or right. something. Well, exactly. I, yeah. And they sort of seem to know him, too. I suppose that's maybe the defense. It's but like anyway, go, go on. Yeah, sorry, I didn't yeah. mean it. No, yeah. no, no. <laughs> he, he, he plays the, tr- the trumpet, and it's this beautiful, you know, slow jazz rendition of uh, Nature Boy, which is, a, a, you know, an amazing uh, song that you, you definitely, Moulin Rouge and Nat King Cole, you, you know the song. And, they're, and you know, Jennifer Lopez is, you know, shocked and impressed and, you know, who is this guy? He can play this jazz trumpet. And then they're leaving and that guy comes out and is like, hey, hey, Steve, Steve, blah, blah, blah. Like, you remember me? Steve and Lambert. That, is that yeah, his name? And yeah, that's Steven. how... That's how she plugs that name in 
and then is like, oh, that was the guy from the accident. And then all you learn about his whole trauma, right? And why he basically has this like short-term memory loss for this trauma that happened uh, in this car accident. And that's ultimately what the movie becomes about. But it's also one of those weird things, to your point, Connor, where the first half is like kind of a mystery thriller, and then the second half is a family drama. Yeah, it's like a romantic family drama. And what's I'll say this, like this movie it, it it's muddled in tone, it's really weird. Like it's not really successful at much of what it tries to do, but I will say they do have that one scene she's supposed to meet him for coffee. Mm-hmm. She basically stands him up. Now again, it's to, to your point Dad, about like the indefensible actions of of Jim Caviezel in this movie. It's like yeah, I don't know, dude. Maybe because you're like, something's clearly wrong with you. You've either had some sort of physical head trauma right. that has left you in like a, a like a not okay mental state. You're basically homeless. Right. Like she has no reason to really, you know, start any kind of relationship with you. And he doesn't even seem to know why either. Like he seems to be like gravitated towards her for reasons. And that's the thing. Like, does is he like, sort of amnesiac like does he not remember or is the thing that he's just literally willfully ignoring the thing right. that happened to him i guess it's well, I the think, latter yeah right? it's like well he's like it's like it's like a forced trauma block of that right. day sure it's kind of like the you fisher know. king except it's not nearly as well explained right or thought out right as that that's i and i guarantee you that almost was like in the elevator pit yeah, or something yeah, yeah. and like like, what if the Fisher, Fisher King, but like a romance between right, the two right, people? Right. And the answer is no, that would be weird. Yes. <laughs> because it'd be like, well, what if you fell in love with a mentally unstable homeless person for no reason? Right. And you, and have you no were idea, a cop and should know. And you have no idea why you're drawn to this person and aren't really questioning it either. She's yeah, just sort yeah. of like. I mean, I guess yeah. outside of like, he's, he's Jim Caviezel, he's very handsome. Right. Like, he's a remarkably handsome now, homeless person. Yes. Can I, can we, can we get to the most important thing with this movie? What are the angel eyes? Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, it ends. And there's a song that I'm going to put in right here. Okay. Angel eyes, see the glory. Angel eyes, know the story. They see the hearts that break. They see the love you make. The story never ends. Angel eyes, it's in there. But like, there's no reference to well, the Well, so so here's my thing. I while watching the movie if I do, if I don't know about the poster for the movie, right, which is it's, it says Angel Eyes and then it's like It's actually a, a very it's a good poster. it's a lovely poster. It's a compelling poster. It's yeah. a, it's a it's her face but it's blown out, right? And it's her eyes are the focus and it's Angel Eyes, right? If I don't know that movie poster and I just know the title, I would assume that's referencing his eyes because it's like it's a bait and switch of a title, right? Because maybe he's an angel. Jim Caviezel has these unbelievably beautiful eyes, right? Which right. Yeah. do wonders when he plays Jesus, right? And I think is like really his best attribute, you know, uh, by far. But when you when you think of the poster and how you know, this is really her movie, she's above the title. It's pretty early Jim Caviezel, right? Um, is it her eyes or is it just 
I because like she's the one who saves him, so that's right. maybe th- that first shot is but meant he to also be. He kind of sort saves of saves her. her. Maybe they're both angel eyes. Uh, yeah, maybe each maybe one of them the, has one angel eye. Right. <laughs> maybe it's like you said, Connor. Maybe the angel eyes were the friends we made along the way. I think <laughs> I, I, that must be it. There, there is a scene between the two of them. I, they have kind of whatever chemistry. Again, it's I don't even know if it's their fault because the just the sheer plot of the movie doesn't put them in enough of a position where that you can easily drum up like right. nice quirky romantic chemistry with somebody. After she stands him up at the coffee shop and he shows up with the stuff anyway, right at her apartment, he knocks on her door. Which also did how does he know where she lives exactly? Other than just he had visited her before. Oh she, right, which yeah. that's the insane scene. It's like yeah. they literally they leave the bar and then she like invites him up. Basically, right? It's that's fucking. Crazy. Oh, I totally crazy. forgot about that. We were saying why does she need a voice or reason? I mean, no, this is yeah, it. this is why it's insane that she even does that. Um, but basically, he brings her the equivalent of like a breakfast in bed kind of thing. Like she answers the door, he's there, he has the breakfast. That one scene, I will say, the scene is kind of whatever, but two of them have the closest thing that comes to chemistry in that scene, and like she's pretty good. I I will say this regarding her specifically. I actually kind of really liked all of her family stuff. Like there's one scene that she has. I think it's the first scene where you meet uh, her mother. Okay. And like she is just. She goes to the house or something. Yeah, she visits the house and she just sort of finds out that like her parents are planning to renew their wedding vows and that scene between the two of them I actually think is really good. And I think there's another scene later where like Jeremy Sisto has beaten his wife and the whole like her yeah, whole that's a group good of cops come. Yeah. I I think all of that family stuff is really good. I think where the movie kind of gets lost is when it's a romance. Is when it's a romance yeah. and and they fuck it apart. Yeah, yeah. And I and I, I <laughs> they agree fuck it apart in this movie, by the way. Yes. It's insane. That scene yeah, that's that sex scene mind. in general is so strange. It's like, so even the way they film it, they, like it's like medium close up, which I just I find a weird like aesthetically for a sex I, scene. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not gonna die on this hill with this scene, but I do have one thing that I want to bring up really quickly. Go. So first, before moments before they fuck in a park, she says, "You can't take your clothes off in a public park." <laughs> so there's that. Right. No. No. Like that's the first part. Then he basically, because he takes his clothes off and he jumps in a lake, right? He goes underwater, comes back up. By the time he comes back up, she's not there. And then he looks and she's down to her underwear from where he jumped from and she jumps in. Now he's underwater for like 10 seconds even. Right. How did she change her? She got out of her clothes so fast. And got all the way up this hill. Yeah. Like, no, like yeah. scaled that. It was her angel eyes. I guess so. I guess so. Angel eyes allows you to travel great Should distances. we call it angel wings? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Anyway. Now, I have a, a similar pet peeve, and this is more of a general kind of, this is, for a movie like this, I feel like this type of thing is common, but I wanted to just get your guys' take. Okay. I agree with you, Lucas. The family stuff is the best stuff. And I do think it speaks to J-Lo's ability as a performer where you know she's playing tough cop and then playing kind of broken daughter right and it's she's juggling those two emotions and tones i think actually pretty well pretty impressively yeah i think think Um, like we were saying before i think this movie of all the ones we're talking about is the best example of her j-lo very good actor being sort of trapped by a a worse movie yeah. yeah yeah so 
she goes she ultimately goes to this party which lucas you'd mentioned earlier that they're having where her parents are basically renewing their vows even after all this trauma and history and she's against it but ultimately goes anyway because you know she wants to reconcile so it 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 doesn't go well and then she's leaving but she decides to go up to the videographer to do her like congratulations and then what she does is and this is the thing that's happened in other movies and i always think this is such an interesting screenwriting thing she starts to tell a story and i get the construct of this in in a movie but i was just thinking about it from the motivations of the character she starts to tell a story that seems like it's going to be about how the father will then beat the shit out of her and her brother. But then the twist is that it's a good memory. And I just kept thinking when she was, and it's a beautiful little monologue. Like she, as a performance, it's quite, quite impressive. But I kept thinking of the motivations of the character where she's at the, all she wants to do is make amends. And then she goes downstairs and does like a purposeful bait and switch to like pseudo embarrass embarrass the father, but then remind them of like a good memory. And it just seemed like that's such a manufactured weird moment in that movie that speaks to kind of this type of movie that I feel like you don't really get a lot anymore where that scene is just for the people watching. You know, that's like a scene that's like that there's nothing at all real life about the construct of how she goes about that. You know what I mean? It exists only for the father to hear the memory and to just have this moment. And I just found it so interesting just as like a, as a device, you know? And I just, it had me thinking about, I just felt very nineties, I suppose, more than anything else, even though this movie came out in 2001. Right. And I think the guy who wrote the script for this, I think is also the guy who wrote phenomenon and it feels so insanely just close to that right in there like a pseudo spiritual yeah like new wavy Mm -hmm. pseudo new wavy like a movie about god oh yeah 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 yeah. and you're right lucas gerald de de pijo i'm sure gerard depardieu yeah he also he check this out he also credited screenplay of another luis mandoki movie message in a bottle similar kevin Mm -hmm. costner robin wright the first Nicholas All, Sparks adaptation. The, yep, yeah, of course. Also credited for the Anthony Hopkins, Cuba Gooding Jr. thriller Instinct in from 1999, oh. if you remember that one. That was like the post-Cuba Oscar, you know, movie oh, star God. Cuba Gooding. Uh, that will one day be a great episode. All yeah, the, well, it, that's the one where like Anthony Hopkins has like spent all of his time with like gorillas or something, and he's in jail. Yeah, it's like it's like scary Nell. Yeah, yeah, right. It's, yeah. It, it's like thriller Nell. Um, <laughs> and that actually makes me want to see it Death. so much more. I know. Yeah. Now I kind of want to rewatch it. Um, so what else is there to say about Angel Eyes? I real quick so. When they finally reveal, when the movie finally puts everything together for you, which is this is what's weird is like it, it's like you kind of already know everything, and the movie still treats it as a twist. So I just it it almost reveals to me the movie's incompetence as opposed to revealing anything else, right? Because you're kind of like, wait, am I? This was supposed to be a secret because I I do all this, but basically, it finally reveals the accident he was in. He basically was behind the wheel of the car. And, you know, he, he, then he being Jim Caviezel, obviously goes, goes to the graveyard, 
it finally decides to confront this trauma, right? And and is like, you know, re talking at the grave of his dead wife and son, uh, about that day and whatever. And he was like, "Oh, you always said I drive too fast," and you know. And then it reve- it's revealed that his son has a toy in the back seat and tosses it to him and says catch and that causes him to turn around and then when he looks back they're like they've swerved and there's a truck and that's why he uses the name catch um so here's the thing they lead up to the whole thing as if the accident was because he was driving too fast on a rainy day or whatever and then they immediately show you that the accident is caused by his son throwing a toy at him right. while he's driving. So they die because his son's an idiot. Yeah. Is what, is what they're basically <laughs> What the movie ultimately boils is, down to. Yeah, which is very bizarre to me. Also, one general question, and we can kind of leave it at this. The, old, the older woman that he's the caretaker for, who is she? I think she's supposed to be his mother-in-law. Okay. Yeah, she's the mother-in-law. Okay. Do they... Did I just yeah. miss that? Okay. Yeah, I must. Yeah. She she has a scene with she has a scene with Jennifer Lopez and and um and this is to your point. We know what the twist is because Jennifer Lopez learns about the accident thirty with thirty minutes left. So like they just choose not to show you what we already know until the end, which I right. just think I guess the, all they're revealing and, to you is catch yeah. is the is the catch. Well, thing, right? It's also funny. I had a very vivid memory watching this movie of seeing Jim Caviezel on like the Daily Show or the Tonight Show around the time that he would have been promoting this, and I could have sworn I remember that he said that he had died and was playing a ghost in this movie. So I was watching it thinking that he was going to reveal himself to be a ghost, and I was very for some reason so, i have this very vivid memory of like, so maybe they were that. trying to like <laughs> maybe I'd there was like be, a different ending that, but, that they had or or if that was the line like the party line that they were using to promote the movie because yeah. they it's almost like the least interesting bait and switch you could do right. it's like you think you're watching a normal movie yeah. and then it's supernatural it's like no we're gonna sell you a supernatural movie we're gonna start with the crazier pitch and then just bring you down <laughs> to like oh it's this well Which, and it's this, angelized yeah yeah, yeah. To your point, uh, Lucas, about him being a ghost or thinking he's going to be a ghost, Jim Caviezel, after uh, Passion of the Christ, was quoted as saying, you know, it typecast him, right, playing Jesus and having all that success, and it made his career more difficult, which I, of course, believe. But I don't think you can just blame it on the Passion of the Christ, because when you look at the movies he made even before that movie... He's always some, played this sensitive, doughy, he's always, paid exactly. forward. Yeah. Even in, he obviously, always, Thin Red Line, he's like very... like yeah. Frequency. Yeah. Like, I mean, literally, Thin Red Line, ter- it, it is now kind of known as fact. Terrence Malick, on set, literally fell in love with Jim Caviezel's look. And right? his angel eyes. Right. And, <laughs> and the movie then, like, totally course-corrected and became about his character because of that, right? And so yeah. the Adrian Brody lead went away, as we know, right? And you had this whole thing. And I just find it, like, it just seemed like Hollywood decided he was this angelic guardian character. And well, that's that, kind of... That that's like what he that. always played yeah. until yeah. Passion of and the then Christ. Even, and, then. and then, dude, even the fucking show he made, Person of Interest, he's basically like rich guardian... He's like Batman. Right, right. You know, so it's just weird. It's like he just, I guess he's right, but I get, 
I guess you just can't blame it on the Jesus. I feel like he yeah. was always going. That and way. reportedly, always seems to be about to start crying perpetually. Yeah. Like <laughs> in every angelized. single movie that, yeah, out of out of those angel eyes, in every movie that he's in. He also, I guess, rep- like reportedly, Jennifer Lopez saw him in Thin Red Line, right, and like wanted him to be in this movie. Yeah, like wanted him to be opposite her, uh, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, it all no. it all feels of a piece. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, that's Angel Eyes. It's a really fucking weird so, movie. Uh, now, so 2002 is a big year for her as an actress, right? Enough doesn't make a lot of money, but is kind of. I feel like well respected enough, right? Enough, enough, enough. You know, haha. Yeah. Um, but it's basically sleeping with the enemy. But she takes the twist is, it's not just that, you know. She, the difference in enough is that she trains and beats the shit out. I think it's Billy right. Campbell, right? Yep. Yes. The and then um, yep. the Rocketeer himself, Made in Manhattan. We talked about that same year, big hit, ninety four million dollars. All Sony movies, actually, which is interesting mm-hmm. enough in Made in Manhattan. 03 is the Geely year. Also Sony. Right. And, you know, it's Which not I a thought B-side. about having us cover, but it's like. But it's not it's, a B-side. It's yeah. such an infamous. It's, right, yeah, right. It's so famous. Yeah. And, you know. and then 04, she's in Jersey Girl, but they famously kind of cut her out of most of it because of Geely. Yeah. Um, Shall We Dance? Which I will say, I have a soft spot for the movie with Richard Gere and Susan Sarandon, which is the remake. I've, you guys, have you either you guys seen it? I have, dance? I have not. No. I saw it a million years ago. Like I think yeah. in the I theater. thought you were about to say a million times. No, no, no. I, <laughs> no, I, I remember kind of being like it. kind of nice, and I remember like Stanley Tucci. Isn't he's also in the dance group or dance class? And he's yeah, really I think he's like another like he's like, like a, a husband or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and that's like Peter Chelsom directed that. We talked about Peter Chelsom when we talked about um, he directed. Uh, well, was credited as directed Town and Country, right? Which is the Warren Beatty uh, infamous oh, bomb, yeah. right? And so Monster Law, I talked about actually on the Mixed Reviews podcast last year with uh, Gavin Mevius, who's a longtime guest of ours, and uh, Louis. Uh, and that's just, a, I hate that movie. That's just a, a complete disaster. It was kind of a hit. So I don't know if you call it a B-side, but not a big fan of that one. Um, unfinished an unfinished life is that same year, an Oscar play with Robert Redford. I've seen this movie a couple times. Lassa Halstrom directed it. I kind of enjoy it. I mean, it 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 lost a decent amount of money, but as a character piece, it's like her acting against Robert Redford and Morgan Freeman, and she's totally holding her own. I would kind of recommend watching it. I think she's actually pretty good in it. And well, it's also it's part of that thing of like. She has a good track record. Yeah. Like she's not, she doesn't, she hasn't made dumb choices, right? Even if they haven't panned out. I mean, even Gili, like on paper, it's, you know, Martin Brest who did Midnight Run and Son of a Woman. And Martin Brest did Midnight Run, right? I'm not. Yeah, uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, correct. And, uh, you know, it's like, it makes sense on paper. Yeah, you would want to work with that guy in that sort of milieu of a crime caper. It's just. Right. Gili is Gili. <laughs> That's really all there she is like to didn't say. Read the script close. Yeah, Gili, <laughs> Gili. Yeah, gobble, gobble. And but. so, oh god. <laughs> so in in 07, she makes a passion project, El Cantante, with Mark Anthony, who I believe she was married to at the time. Doesn't really do much. It's a picture house movie. It kind of comes and goes. Um, I've actually never seen. It. I've heard her performance is quite good in it. Actually, I 
I kind that was on my list of movies to watch uh, before we recorded, but I just did not get to it. I saw it in then, theaters. It's like she's oh, really did you? good. Okay. Yeah, she. The two of them are really good in it. It is very much like every musical biopic cliche is thrown at the screen, but especially in the scenes where he gets to perform the music. Like those concert scenes and performance scenes are so well shot and edited and she's good, but it's just, it's kind of just a lot of cliches. It's not dissimilar. Uh, Dan and I were talking about this with Angela Bassett, which will, it'll air after this, but, um, and uh, what's love got to do with it is very similar where it's like, it's a very sort of standard fair biopic, but she is just this like force. Force, yeah. Yeah. And then she takes a little bit of a break. I think. I think there's another movie she made around the same time. Never came out in the U.S. Directed by Gregory Nava, who directed her in Selena and My Family uh, early on. Gregory Nava directed that movie El Norte from the '80s, which was like a pretty, uh, pretty essential uh, foreign film early on that earned an Oscar nomination for uh, best screenplay. Uh, you know, a long time ago. But anyway. She made a movie, uh, reunited with him to make a movie called Border Town, which, like I said, barely kind of came out. Um, And so her big comeback movie, you know, was this movie, The Backup Plan, in 2010, which very well could be a B-side itself. Um, CBS Films film with, I think the male lead in that movie is... The guy in Hawaii Five O is that Alex O'Loughlin? Or yes, his... exactly. Yes, yeah, Alex O'Loughlin. Who, Thank you. I Lucas don't know how Fargo, I baby. There, yeah. the the one and only. Um, two years later, she's in What to Expect When You're Expecting with forty five other actresses and actors. Um, and then we get to 2013, where she is in what is I, I think now regarded as the greatest movie ever made, Parker. <laughs> so I Direct- wanted. I wanted to Directed talk about by, this movie. Sorry, go, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go, go, go. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just going to say, <laughs> I was just going to say, directed by the world's greatest director, Taylor Hackford, <laughs> and um, who we talked about Hackford because yep, we, we talked about uh, Proof of Life. Proof of Life, which I kind of I like. Yeah, we kind of like. Proof um, solid, mostly. And uh, the, the Jason Statham vehicle, Parker, starring Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. Um, but the, Connor, go ahead. No, so, okay. So, I kind of wanted to talk about this movie because it, to me, it felt like it felt like an attempt at a, at another like thing in her career, right? Like an, at another leg right. of, of her career. And, um, and she's in it enough that she's, I think, I mean, I would say an asset to the movie so much so that I actually, I, I would be curious just to watch the Jennifer Lopez portion of this movie I'm as opposed to the Jason Statham I'm curious if movie. it's a better movie if they bring her in earlier because and it's like her movie and right. statham comes in and out yeah because yeah. she's not in the first like half of the no, movie, no 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 she doesn't show up for a while well and this movie i think speaks to a secret weapon of hers that she has not tapped into quite enough which is i think she's really funny yes yeah yeah i would agree like a little bit of made in manhattan right a little bit i guess there, I would assume there are scenes in Geely where you can maybe catch some. I have to rewatch it. <laughs> I I'm ass- like, <laughs> Dan Mike is saying, I assume I, there's comedy it, in Geely. It, it's allegedly like, a comedy. You know, like she has had a pretty serious, like, 
not in terms of the pedigree of the movie, but like her performances, pretty like serious acting career. I mean, you think about maybe Money Train, Monster Law, obviously is a broader comedy, but Parker, she is the comic relief. Yes. I I will also just say, I mean, one of my favorite J-Lo performances, which is not a film, but it's TV, is her episode of Well and Grace where she plays herself and she's basically the entertainment at a wedding. And she's really funny and really self-deprecating because I think this must have been shortly after Gigli. And it's like, yeah, she's a great comedic actress. She should do more of that. Yeah, and I think the, I mean, so real quick, uh, Parker is uh, based on a novel called uh, Flashfire, right, I believe? Yeah, Flashfire. Yeah. Uh, Flashfire, it, um, it's one of the now numerous adaptations of the Parker novels. It's the first one to ever use the name, which is kind of funny because there's like nothing wrong with the name Parker. Right. So it's weird, you know, uh, point blank. Well, no, 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 yeah. no. no. Do you, there's a reason for this. Do you want know to tell you? Yeah, you're talking about why the okay. So, so the movie's called Parker, right? The book was Flashfire. Um, Donald Westlake is the author, and he never as Richard Stark, right? Is his right? Richard Stark is his uh, pseudonym. Yep. So he, a lot of movies are based on. He had two kind of big uh, characters, right? He had the Parker character, and he had Dortmunder, who, if you ever seen the Hot Rock with uh, Robert Redford and uh, George Siegel. Pretty good movie from the early 70s, directed by Peter Yates. Uh, Redford plays Dortmunder. And then there's a movie called What's the Worst That Could Happen from 2000 with Martin Lawrence Uh, and David DeVito. That's also technically a Dortmunder novel, but they change everything in that one. But regardless, when people would get the rights to the Parker books or a Parker book, Donald Westlake's stipulation when he was alive was... They could only use they could only call him Parker if they agreed to make all like twenty of his novels into movies. Oh, like that. oh interesting. So that's why Point And this Blank, was the first one that was made after he died. So yes. yeah, so he yeah. died and after in the wake of his death, it was decided, right, that they would use his name. And so they named this movie Parker. So it is so funny because this is kind of just a, a fairly innocuous movie that is you know, there are better movies about this character payback point blank like you said you know and it's just interesting that this is the one where they finally call him parker because it kind of comes and goes without much fanfare you you can see a world i think on paper where you know you make this movie because it on one hand it does almost feel like a slap in the face to donald (laughs) westlake that you're gonna like oh you're dead we're just we're gonna use the name now but you can also see a world where jason statham is now basically in the equivalent of straight to VOD programmers, right? This sort of feels like one of them. It just happened to get released in a theater, right? Um and but you Well, this can, was a this was a film district movie, baby. Remember film yeah, district? Yeah, no, but but you can I think you can see a world where any party involved would be like, yeah, maybe we do make all 20 of these with Jason Statham and we just, you know what if I mean? If this we one just, is a big enough hit, we can yeah, like put we'll, it out. We'll sort of Blumhouse it and yeah. we'll make them for 15 or 20 we'll million pre-sell the rest of the world. Yeah. And then like in the States, it'll come out on like, you know, Saban films it, it, or something. Exactly. Like that. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So I can see a world where, Oh that. my God. I, Saban films would have released 18 of these babies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All which is for like, for, yeah. for like an eighth of the budget. Yeah. Obviously. Right. But right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you, so I could see a world where that, that's a thing. 
Um, that said, I mean, I think I, I think he he's fine in the movie. I, like, I I think it kind of misuses him in a way that he, I mean, he he ha- has been and will after this be more charismatic, right? Um, as a as a leading man and even as an action star, I think it's kind of wasted. There's only one really notable scene where he fights, and I can't think of the gentleman's name now, but he was in Daniel Bernhardt. Sorry, is his name. Um, but he's like an accomplished stuntman uh, actor. Um, he actually was most recently, in, he was in John Wick. Uh, he's one of the, he's Alfie Allen's older brother in, oh, in John Wick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was one of, I believe, a, on, the, on the stunt team in the Matrix movies. So he, because he was in John Wick. He was in Atomic Blonde also as a, you know, as a, as a heavy. Um, and uh, most recently, I don't know if either of you have watched it, but he's in the most recent season of Barry. Um, where there is, oh, really? there is an extended, uh, hilarious, amazing action scene with his character and he is phenomenal. The episode's phenomenal. I encourage anybody who watches it. I mean, watch it in context cause it's great, but like even out of context, it's an amazing episode of television and he is great in it. Um, but basically Statham fights him in a uh, in this condo, and it's a pretty good scene. It's pretty brutal. Um, that to me was the only scene in the movie that I was like, "Oh, this is a Jason Statham movie." Yeah, right? like this feels like the like the, like this is what you hired. I him do, for. yeah, I do think this is a point like you're saying in Statham's career where he was trying to expand, right? Like he's making that movie Redemption, right. which was um, I think called Hummingbird in other countries, mm-hmm. which that is the uh, directorial debut of Stephen Knight, right? Who then directed Locke and now, of course, the masterpiece Serenity. So. <laughs> Dad. Um, oh, but um, my favorite movie. <laughs> I, I do think that uh, this, yeah, you can tell Statham was trying before he found success in these other franchises and movies like The Meg to, to essentially branch out. I think the real kind of, real expansion pack for him is the movie spy right i think yes, this yeah. is like yeah. him trying to figure that out and not really succeeding he's doing bad accents i think they're like supposed to be bad but that's the thing. I, I had a very hard time when he was pretending that he was from ecuador and had that ecuadorian texan what, accent on top of his name yeah. i really could not understand a word yeah it's very it. weird i mean generally speaking Quick context of the movie, Statham pulls a heist with Michael Chiklis and um Wendell Pierce. And Wendell Clifton Pierce. Jr. Yeah. 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 And it goes it goes awry. Right. Surprise. It was put together by Nick Nolte, who we mentioned earlier, yes. and pops back up here. Um, as just a walking hamburger, I guess. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and then he, he's like in so much of the first half of the movie, though, and then he just disappears, yeah. and we never see him. And you and doesn't have anything to do with the broader consequences of the movie, right? Well, I kept waiting for him to be the ultimate bad. That's that's, that's what, what I kept saying. thinking yeah, was yeah, gonna like, happen because yeah. it goes awry. They basically. Michael Chiklis, after they you know part or about to part ways, they pull off the score. Uh, which is, you know, like a fine little scene, whatever. They're about to part ways and Chiklis is like, hey, what if instead of us giving you your take, we invest it in the next job we're going to do, right? And Parker basically is like, no thanks. Super, he's a professional. He's like, I'll take my money. And that's a thing, obviously, like you, you, that comes up in payback as well. 
he's like a man of principle. Like it's very much like he's not trying to get more than he was promised or anything like that. He just literally like wants the money he was promised and that's it. Not, not unlike Statham's other classic character, the transport. No, it's very, yeah, it's, you don't change the job. It's very similar. The only thing that feels weird with this version of the Parker character is Parker is supposed to be basically like a sociopath, essentially like a big thing in those novels is is essentially like which this movie what's funny is this movie i think picks up on that a little bit a big thing in those novels is point of view and how other people react to parker um because he's a sociopath so you can't really like build a world around that guy and this movie kind of does that because it is half about jennifer lopez and so half of the movie is her just being impacted by this dude who comes into her life which to your point i think the movie probably would be more effective if you bring her in sooner and it's like her movie and he's just like the you don't need that like 30 minute chunk of him after he leaves the hospital getting to florida it serves no real purpose well and another another big mistake which i thought was an interesting thing but ultimately didn't work is he has a wife in this movie he has like a he has like a girlfriend yeah 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 you know, I think, and then in novels, the wife like has betrayed yeah. him, basically. Well, right. I, I right, and I just think I appreciated the idea of adding that complexity, but ultimately take it out, right? I mean, make it more this more streamlined, yeah, noir thing. I mean, having that extra one thing I did, I'll say this to the Jennifer Lopez of it all. One thing I did really appreciate about this movie. Is she oogles him sure. and yeah. wants to get with him and initiates all of it. And he's the one who's kind of like, no thanks. I liked that that you not often do you do you see that in studio movies, right? Where there's literally a female gaze at him a couple times. Sure. Right? Which I which with the camera. So I appreciated that kind of switch. And I liked that Jennifer Lopez made the most of that character trait. And I wish the rest of the movie kind of had that exploratory, you know, type of thing. It was a little but bit look, more playful. In but that's the thing. Yeah. Look, the, as much as we defended Taylor Hackford in one hand, but in the other hand, this is also the problem with a guy like Taylor Hackford. It's like he's going to ultimately kind of fit into – the nooks and crannies of blockbuster filmmaking. I feel like, you know what I mean? He's yeah. done so much of it. You know, like we were talking about, you know, music, music biopics earlier. Ray is the example of the very standard, you know, music biopic, which, you know, gets Jamie Foxx an Oscar nomination. But I don't think if you want to make your Parker movie, you know, and have fun with it, I just don't think Taylor Hackford's the guy, you know? Right. And he like, no, you, quotes you about want him. like a David Leach or like, a, yeah. you know, somebody with, I mean, well, I mean, also, too, it's like watching this, you sort of, because so much of it is set in Florida, you kind of keep thinking of out of sight. Sure. And you're yeah. just like, oh, that, you wish like Soderbergh had directed this. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, someone. Yeah. Or even like more. Barry Sonnenfeld, right? Yeah. Like just yeah. somebody who could, you know, because there are quotes of, of Hackford talking about how he wanted to make his first noir. And then you, but the way the movie's lit, you're like, well, okay, it's, it's lit very blandly, right? Mm-hmm. I mean- if you're making a noir, half of the reason it's called that is because of the heart is the high contrast nature of the shots, right? So right. there isn't any of that in this movie. There's no style, really. No, no, you it's know, lit like a, think... it's lit like the Jennifer Lopez half of the movie, yeah, which is like a, a breezy rom com, right? Right, like the, that's set up as like a 
just a hardworking girl, Palm Beach, yeah. who's like a realtor. She, she's a divorcee. She needs the money. It. She's fending off these advances from Bobby Cannavale. Yeah, all of that. Patty Lupone's her mother. I mean, that I could also talk about for forever. <laughs> yeah, and I kind of wish the whole movie was... <laughs> J-Lo and Patti LuPone as this mother-daughter. I agree. Proto-golden girl. When it dove into that part of it. And and the the way she gets, just for context, basically the way she gets swept up in the movie is Parker then, after getting fucked over, consults Nick Nolte. And again, Nick Nolte never goes bad, which is sort of refreshing in a way, like that he just sort of stays this like mentor, father. It's nice. Like you are waiting for For, it and it's No, and it never happens. But basically Nick Nolte's like, well, you're going to have to get down there in some way. So they create this, or Parker creates this ruse where he then is going to buy a home down there or pretend to buy a home to sort of like use to scope out the place and hide out and all that. Realizes that all the other guys who are planning this heist that fucked him over are doing the same thing. Right. And J-Lo is his in there, right? She's a realtor. She can't, she's seemingly not doing a great job at it. Um, this this other woman basically keeps stealing her clients, blah, 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 blah. So she happens to steal this one client from that woman and the client is yep. Jason Statham. Yeah. So that's how she kind of gets wrapped up in it. But as soon as she popped up, and to your point, Dan, she's like funny, she's charming. She like literally like just yeah. turns the whole movie on once she shows up in a way that I was just like, oh, I, I want, I just want this movie right, like right. for the whole half of it. And like, yeah, you... You imagine the better version of this movie if it leans, I think, a little more into the fun, breezy aspect of it. If it's not, maybe if it's just the same plot, but not a Parker movie by name, right? Where it feels like it has to be serious and kind of noirish and edgy. I imagine like the nicer version of this movie is like Night and Day. Yeah. Where like, she, it, it is her movie. And then there's this person that just comes in and out of it that's like, both fucking her shit up, but is also kind of her out. Right? Or, or it's about like them outsmarting the other robbers at their own score. And it just becomes about like right. the process of the robbery, which this movie doesn't have a lot of. No, like, no. They like sort of tease it a little bit with, you know, the uh, the other crew, the bad crew, yeah. you know, the chickless crew. Uh, basically, they show up at where this auction is going to be. They're going to be auctioning off all this jewelry. And uh, and they they show up as the entertainment crew to set up speakers for the auction. It's later revealed that those speakers are like pyrotechnics to distract and get the yeah. fire department to come. Turns out they are the fire department, right. and that's where they pull the ice. It's very Ocean's Eleven yeah. kind of actually. Spoilers, but it's, I guess, for Ocean's right. Eleven. But, but it's all done in like it, it's one of those things where it doesn't. I feel like this movie rushed through the interesting things. Like it rushes through yeah. the heist. It waits too long to introduce J Lo. It doesn't make good use of the other crew, which is a great kind of murderer's row of character, character actors, actors yeah, sure. that like are completely just wasted and like spends too much time with with Parker. Yeah, 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 which is kind of an odd yeah, it's, thing. Like it can't quite figure out what it has. And it doesn't lean enough it doesn't lean enough on Statham's best attributes yeah. as a leading man. He's really to, muted in this yeah, movie yeah, and doesn't and get to be fun. Right. He doesn't get to be funny. Yeah. And at the very least, there isn't enough well-directed action in the movie to right. make it a good Jason Statham right. action movie. So it's like really just kind of falls in the middle somewhere. Um, and again, not so much that like, again, all, all the Jennifer Lopez stuff, I really like. Um, 
she she handles all of it really really well um but again it's just it's an it's it's that thing of her just not being able she rises above the movie yeah for sure but just is still can't escape it really um can't transform the whole the thing as a whole into into something better um yeah, I don't know. Any other thoughts on Parker, Dan? Well, no, I mean, the movie comes out, doesn't perform well at all, $17 million. I mean, Film District ultimately, um, I think, I think uh, what, forms, it ends up being, uh, 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 what is it called? Focus Features, I think, is... Like, okay. takes it, right? Qu- yeah, Focus acquires it, and then I think they keep... That was when they got rid of, like, James Shamus and most of his team, and then I think right, the that's Film what District that was. team became the focus team that's why we right. have them here ladies and gentlemen yeah <laughs> right. no but right that's what happened so yeah film district ultimately kind of goes away parker underperforms like we said this is statham kind of in between uh legs of his career and look this is a part of jayla's career and she has mentioned this you know she's actually not getting offered much right i mean her movies basically are underperforming like we said you know Nobody sees an unfinished life. Nobody sees El Cantante. The backup plan underperforms. What to expect does fine to not very well. Parker underperforms. So this next and final movie we're going to talk about, I think, does usher in, which is now her kind of where she is now as a movie actress slash celebrity, right? Which is taking charge of her career a little bit more, right? And I think for the better. So... The movie, the final movie is The Boy Next Door uh, from twenty January 2015, which is a Blumhouse movie, right? Jason Blum produced, Rob Cohen directed, alleged monster Rob Cohen. Um, and it performs well because it costs $4 million, right? It's that Jason Blum model right. of it, yeah, we, really, Dan and really I, lo-fi uh, budget. She produces the movie, right? So, you know, she got a cut of what ended up being, I think, like 50 plus million worldwide. Yeah, 52 million worldwide. And then, I mean, we'll talk about Boy Next Door. But I think what results is she makes an indie movie called Lila and Eve that doesn't go anywhere. But then only last year, she made a movie called Second Act that even though it was relatively underseen, made 40 million here, only cost 16 and definitely made some people some money right so you know meanwhile while this is all going on she's in that show shades of blue right so she's kind of getting seen by people in other avenues making new music right just becoming more of a you know and she's always been like this but all over the place you know in every different avenue and um i think it's impressive i guess is my point like she's 50 which is insane and she's had all the success. And so with that being said, the boy next door, uh, you know, what do we think? Lucas? Yeah, I, you go, you so go first. I, I really love this movie. Oh, God, you're part of the problem. I, you're part of the problem. I think I've I think I've think mentioned this to you, Dan, this idea of like the post-festival movie that you see. That's just like. That's your, right. We I think we talked about this at, a, after the 2015 Sundance Film Festival. Yeah. And this was like my reward for getting through Sundance. Like dessert. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what a reward uh, it was. It, this movie, okay. I, I first, I do. I mean, it's ridiculous and it's so over the top. And yeah. it is so mean to Kristen Chenoweth in particular. Oh, God. Oh, my God. What Me you- and Kelly were like <laughs> aghast. No, yeah. There's, get, she gets it. Yeah. There's. Um, <sighs> <laughs> 
Well, no, let me just let me just Go say ahead. before. Yeah. So I think me and Connor kind of agree on this movie. We were both late to this, right? We, yeah. me and yeah. Connor both watched The Boy Next Door. I was excited to watch podcast. it. It's right. part of the reason I picked it for this thing. Yeah. And again, I mean, it sort of doesn't qualify because it made money and it is kind of infamous to a certain right. degree because it's just this. It's, it's, so, it's an impossible film. Like it's um, so just, but it kind of knows what it is. To no, an extent, uh, we're gonna yeah. I'm, we're gonna die. Okay, specifically. Well, I mean, look, Rob Cohen, who, like I said before, is kind of somebody who probably won't make a movie again. There's been a lot of allegations of terrible stuff um, uh, that he's done uh, in his personal life. But as a director, he's you know not unlike a Taylor Hackford, kind of a genre focused um, Hollywood guy. He was a producer first. He directed the first uh, Fast and Furious movie. Movies like The Skulls, right? Movies and like I, I the feel like first he really, Triple X. He really held on to that fat and still does, I yeah. think, hold on to that fast and furious chip, like basically throughout the rest of his career. Yeah. I think especially since it then you know re-emerged and blew up. Um really mm-hmm. holds on to like I directed the first did, fast and furious. And did he direct I know he directed the first triple X. Did he direct the most recent one as well? No, that was no. DJ Caruso. Oh, okay. Yeah, he directed the another first very similar X. director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so, you know, he definitely has a sense of entertainment at that high level, right? In terms of kind of, you know, popcorn entertainment, whatever you call it. And there's definitely a lot of that here. And with somebody like Jason Blum also, you know, as a producer, I think that also helps because um, I know that Rob Cohen struggled to kind of film within the parameters of the budget, budget obviously being used to these bigger budgets. But um, I remember people like yourself, Lucas, when it came out, people like our friend Christy Puckko, um, uh, Puchko, I feel like I always say her name wrong. Sorry, Christy. Um, love the movie when it came out, even if like if, even if it was a love-hate thing. And I yeah. remember the stuff with the first edition Iliad and, you know, uh, I'm going to, I'll link, I'll, I'll link in our article for this episode. You know, I think it's, um, I think it's Slate does like a whole breakdown of the first edition. You know, there's a Ryan Guzman is the boy next door, gets her a gift and it's the copy of Homer's the Iliad. And she's like, this is a first edition. I, you know, this book that was, you know, this orated story from (laughs) literally thousands of years ago. You know, Kevin already left. Actually, I uh, picked something up for you. Oh my God, this is a, this is a first edition? I can't accept this. This must have cost a fortune. It was a buck at a garage sale. One man's trash. I can't. <laughs> I, no, I can't. Honestly, this, uh, I appreciate it. I've been in here every single night. It means a lot to me. Thank you. <laughs> and famously, didn't like people try to talk Rob Cohen out of that? Like, it this wouldn't have been possible and he was insistent on doing it anyway it's just such a weird decision it's such a weird thing to decide like because because there's it's not just a one-off it's not like you just get it's like significant to the movie yeah she's a she's an english teacher specifically a classics teacher right so it's relevant right he's like well but that was another thing that was so weird a high school English teacher who just teaches the classics? No, like, right. Like, this there, high school? Yeah. I, there's <laughs> a lot of stuff that also, like, is very just, like, this movie is not taking place in anything that remotely resembles reality. No. Like, it's some sort of simulation. Yeah. Concocted by someone who's in the middle of reading, 
like a Twilight novel. Right. And, and like that, like, what if this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the two things that I think of are the fact that like it goes through so many backflips just to let you know that JLo's character is not a bad person because the guy that she's having an affair with is actually like 20 even though he's still technically in high school and then, no but the, and this is like the weird thing right is yeah. like this so when you mentioned before the movie knows what it is this is where i remain unconvinced okay. that that's true because it it's not trashy enough to be like a like it's not trashy enough or or thrilling or suspenseful enough to be a really good trashy thriller in the vein of, you know, in of like a presumed innocent sure. or uh basic instinct or any of those, right? It wants or, to be or the big one I kept thinking of, sorry, is hand that rocks the cradle. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, no, no, no. It's it, yeah. I think it wants to be, for sure. And it's not even really again, and I say this a lot on this podcast, but like on paper, it's not that far away. Like you could I could see how this could be a very good, satisfying schlocky thriller yeah um but the the basic <laughs> and to your point lucas like it doesn't take place in any form of reality like the basic gymnastics it needs to perform to explain very simple things that should be straightforward it spends so much time doing that that like i'm more focused on that and i, and I just don't care about I, anything yeah else. i mean i think like i actually kind of liked the final like third when stuff's going down like that final oh where they're in the they're yeah they're in like a barn kristen chenoweth's like barn yes. or ranch or whatever right yeah. like i actually think that stuff builds quite nicely but sure. i do think to your point for me, at least, I think the gymnastics is kind of part of why I find it to be right. fun. Like, I, yes. it's not, it is not as polished as something like Hand That Rocks the Cradle or like an Adrian Line movie, like, sure. you know, Indecent Proposal or, uh, you know, Fatal Attraction. But it's kind of, I think it has an earnestness in how it approaches those gymnastics that makes it fun. I don't necessarily know if they are aware of how ridiculous those gymnastics that's, are. Yeah, that's kind of the thing, right? So, like, with Ryan Guzman, basically, he his parents have died. Yeah. He's living with his uncle, yeah. who is introduced out of nowhere, um, who for a, a minute, like, the, the uncle thing, right, is so just, like, not... It, it feels like such an afterthought that I was expecting the movie to reveal that this dude, this uncle, is basically like just senile and doesn't know where he is, and he's not even his nephew. And that he's just taking advantage of this old man who lives next door. And then like, because then the uncle has a quote, like bone marrow transplant and then disappears for like most of the movie. Yeah. And so I kept thinking like, oh my God, it wasn't even his uncle. We're going to find out that like he just took advantage of this old man and that he murdered him. And then when J-Lo goes into the house, she's going to find like the dead old man no he comes back he like pops up again and i'm like oh i guess the transplant went fine <laughs> right I, don't, I mean i sort of i don't know it's i also will say this is the one i didn't rewatch before this just because i had seen it as opposed to the other three which i hadn't so yeah. i am going off of a couple of years sure memory but i do think that there is a level of i think there's a sort of winking aspect to some of the movie that makes sure. it fun um i do think that the back flicks, the back flips of it are also part of what makes it enjoyable. I don't know if it knows. Yeah, I think to an extent it might know some of it, but I think to another extent it's. 
I think I'm as aware of like a, and again, to your point, like maybe part of it's a zeitgeisty thing, right? right? Like when this movie came out, it was just like, oh my God, have you it seen this? It seemed like, like ready-made it to was, be like, it was like the serenity of its and Yeah, yeah exactly. I was going to say, yeah, it kind of yeah. reminds me of serenity. It's very right? much yeah. so. like it right. came out and the world was like, oh, this one is fun. You know, and yeah. Yeah. the world being a relatively small, you know, film, film Twitter, Twitter, film Twitter, whatever world, yeah. you want to call it. But, you know? but yeah, it was a, so it, to a degree, I totally believe that, yeah, if I had watched this in, in 2015, I might right. have been like, oh yeah, no, I love it. It's like yeah. shocking and stupid and great. Um, a better version of this movie that I think I, Dan likes this movie more than I do, but like a better version of this movie that's more successful is a simple favor. Yeah. Like a movie where oh, it's totally. like, 100%. it's bad, it's yeah. stupid, but it gets those gears like just right where like it, it i think it achieves and, all and also everyone's on the same i feel like a simple favor is a good example of everyone knows what they're in and they are keyed into it yeah exactly exactly because yeah. I, I don't like i think i th- that's the part of this that i have a hard time putting my finger on i don't know if she knows which i'm curious to i guess i'll say this i'm curious to see which movie jennifer lopez thinks that she's in right does she think that she's in a simple favor or does she think she's in Fatal Attraction. That's a or, good, yeah. Like, I suppose that's a really good question. Because I, I feel like Ryan Guzman. Well, we we have her on the phone right now. Let me catch her in. What do you think, Jenny? I um, <laughs> right. I I was gonna say one thing I realized while watching this um, is that this type of subgenre, just as a as a form of enjoyment, I I just struggle with personally. I I I was saying this to Kelly when we were getting to the end. The home invasion, like, uh, psychopath next door, nearby movie, right? Whether it's fear, whether yeah, it's fear is a great yeah, yeah. It was Whether like, it's, it's specific, like fear, but, like, if they fucked. Whether yeah, it's like, specific heights, right? Unlawful entry, you know, um, unfaithful to some degree, right? We're talking about Adrian Lyne. I generally struggle with my enjoyment level for these movies. Like there's something about it that stresses me out. I totally get the formula. I understand why people like it. Kelly, my wife, who I've mentioned, like she enjoys these movies far more than, you know what I mean? Like we, we watched the hand that rocks the cradle only recently by the end of that movie, which I think is a well manufactured structured movie, right? The great Curtis Hanson. You know what I mean? Like by the end of it, I was like, please turn this off. I cannot take this anymore. Like these poor fucking people, you know what I mean? I just was like, by the end of it, I was like, let this end. And I will say by the end of this movie, I we're in that barn and it's on fire and I'm just, everybody's getting like stabbed and shot in the, there's the eye thing. Oh yeah. And I was, I was like, make this I thought the end. I kind of it was one of the only parts. It's one of the only parts of the movie that I was like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, right. I just, it. I just realized this is just not this subgenre. Subgenre specifically is something that I just, it's just not my bag. I just, I have to, I have to come to terms with it. <laughs> and I like. Here's the other thing, and this is part of that gymnastics conversation we were just having. This movie doesn't do a great job because it, and it it's the thing that lends itself to like it basically not taking place in the real world of like, why ha- does nobody involved in this movie call the cops way sooner? Like the whole climax of the movie happens at Kristen Chenoweth's ranch. Ryan Guzman has just killed her. He's, he's taken uh what's his name? John Corbett. Right. Right. Captive as well as the actor 
who plays uh, who plays their son. Um, his name is Ian Nelson. He's taken them captive at the ranch. Um, J Lo comes, and you know everything plays out. Every barn lights on fire. J Lo stabs him in the eye with an epipen, um, and all that. I I agree with you. I think all that sets itself up pretty well. Um, and it's only after all that that we see like our second police officer in the movie right, ever. Right. Like there's one scene where J-Lo goes to uh, investigate the accident, quote unquote accident mm-hmm. of Ryan Guzman's parents' death. Um, and the uh, the car, which they still have, right. is burnt to a crisp. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, the detective's asking her questions and she sort of realizes that Ryan Guzman is the one who caused his parents' death, yada, yada. And the cop is like, why are you asking? She's like, oh, no reason. It's like, just tell him. You have no yeah. reason not to. Like, this guy isn't going to fire you from your teaching job. I mean, I think she like, has some shame about all of that. I mean, it's... But the weird thing is, to your point... Yeah, no, but it's... I think it's one of those He's things, 20. It's like... But I think it's one of those things where it's like, sh- they've done these backflips for the audience. I mean, it's something similar that yeah. we were talking about with Angel Eyes, where it's like... Well, no, she's not doing anything wrong because he's an adult yeah. and he's, you know, a very attractive adult who just happens to still be in high school. Right. And so I think they do that so that the audience is okay with it. Like in this yeah. way that doesn't actually make sense in the real world where, yes, she would just be like, I've had an affair with my student, but he is well, age. Yeah, and I, I, yeah. Don't, I just don't think the movie trusts the audience enough because I think yeah. if you just, if you don't even do those backflips and maybe he's 18, right? Right. He's an actual senior or whatever. Yeah. Then, yeah, I don't know. She fucked an 18-year-old and like, it's yeah. a little creepier, but like, I think it's, I mean, the I, movie's, I think right. more interesting. Well, probably. and I think it's, it's definitely a much more interesting movie for sure. Yeah. I do think that it is a little bit more, I mean, just the gymnastics of all this. And I do think there is something at least vaguely refreshing about seeing like a high schooler who is clearly not like, he's clearly not a high schooler Yeah, and the discrepancy between him and her son, who is so clearly like puny compared to like like, comically. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, I, I admire the fact that this movie is just like, we are making him not a high school student because high school students just don't look like that. Like if they made this movie now, yeah. right? It's not Ryan Guzman, right? It's it's Timothy Ar- Chalamet. I was about to say it's Archie from. Oh. <laughs> it's just, yeah. No, but I was just gonna say it's like it's like they would cast an actor that is supposed to be a high schooler, right? But is one of those weird actors where you're like, maybe this person's sexy, also. Too. Yeah, like yeah. a and, kind of sullenness that they have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's that's like the weirdest thing for it because there's there are tons of things. Where it's like maddening in that degree, where you're just like, it's not as bad as you think it is, right? Because of the backflips yeah, it performs, yeah. right? So it's really weird because it does these gymnastics to get you comfortable with it, but then like there's it no, hurt, yeah, it no, hurts I, the logic know, of the movie. I totally get what you're saying <laughs> about that, and I do think that it's like, I mean, I think I sort of enjoy it more for its like existence, yeah, sure. like the fact that yeah. that yeah, but I agree that there is no payoff it is purely to get the audience on board with the affair and not have us feel bad about any of the actual like sex that takes yeah, place yeah yeah sure yeah. which is its own thing but i kind of love that about the film yeah and there she is like i and they I, don't and, and and speaking to that they do not skimp on that sex scene i mean you, yeah. you get no, one sex is. scene but it is a 
full. It's a like, barn like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, very like shot so just epically romantically like it feels like a harlequin novel yeah type. no exactly yeah. it's it's yeah. so it's super it's super trash like i said it feels like it came from the mind of somebody while they were like reading twilight yes yeah. like and and not really in a bad way like i'm on board for that movie yeah. i just don't think it's like crafted well enough to to really because i found myself and i feel like to your point dan with some of the with this genre of movie like sort of deliberately trashy movies it's such a fine line. It's like such a fine line because yeah. like to, to really be successful because like you're either going to be a good enough thriller that I want you to just be a really good thriller. Right. Or you're going to go into full camp. Right. And I'm fine with either of those, but then you, you have this movie, which like, I feel like because it's, it like is, you said, not yeah. everybody feels like they're on the same page. Right. I walk away from it being like not being uh, able to enjoy it for being bad, but I, not being yeah. able to enjoy it for being good. I <laughs> will say it does like kind of fall in that kind of zone of like, it's not quite trashy enough to be fully into camp, but it's also not quite scary enough or sort of committed to really right. kind of sending you into like severe palpitation. Like if he's 18 or if he's yeah. her son's age, but just happens to be like remarkably hot and right. they have sex. Then I'm like, oh yeah, this movie's insane. Yeah, like, I'm in. But right, like, it, well, yeah, it's so it's like weirdly neutered, kind of. Uh, yeah, like, a little bit. But yeah. I, I think it's also just, and some of this might just be a personal taste sort of thing. But I like love these types of thrillers, these sure. types of like home invasion, mid budget, mid level. I mean, I know this was done on the Blumhouse model, but these. These types that of that subgenre. Yeah, that yeah. subgenre. And we just don't get a lot of those anymore. No, and it's kind not. of really refreshing no, to I, I agree. see that. I do think it's not like a perfect movie, but I think it is just fun to watch. Sure. And she is committed to it as best as she can, even though it is kind of pulling her in a number of different directions. Yeah, I, I just I guess that's the thing, because she doesn't even feel out of place for the movie. It's yeah. not it's not a situation where you're like, why did they cast her or why did she pick this? That all makes sense. It's more she just um I just yeah, I think she thinks she's in a different movie. Rob Cohn's directing a different movie. Yeah. Christian Chenoweth is definitely in like some I other I do kind of movie. wonder if a different director had done this, if it would have been more in one camp or the other sure I th- well i think the answer to that not unlike with like parker is like if it's soderbergh it's more right. like side effects right? yeah which yeah. is great right right or if it you know and this you know again you you balloon your budget if you do this but it's like if it's fincher it's gone girl right, right. like it's there are there are ways to make this movie or a version of this movie that totally walk that line perfectly i just think it's like well you made a Blumhouse budget movie, so you got Rob Cohen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good, I think all this is a good segue in thinking about, like, so Hustlers is out now. And I feel like, I mean, you'll know if you're listening, is, is Hustlers the type of movie? Because I feel like it's being sold kind of in that middle ground of, you know, fun and bad or maybe, you know, fun and good, right? Like, you know, obviously... I'm super dir- curious about it. For I'm that, really right. for that excited. Person. You know, the director, she gave us an education. You know, she's no uh, slouch in terms of, you know, forming a, a solid narrative and great performances. It's a great cast, right? Constance Wu, 
You have um, Cardi B's in it, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And you Willie have Reinhardt, I believe, from Riverdale, speaking of Archie's, but yeah. Right, right. You have, yeah, exactly. You have obviously Jennifer Lopez. Julia Stiles, who we did an almost movie star episode of, um, is also in there. So I hope it's certainly very good, or at the very least, like we're talking about, very campy and enjoyable, or actually just a very sustained, solid, you know, thriller. So. Um, I think that's the only movie she has on her immediate, you know, like current slate. She's obviously still performs a lot. She's had new music recently. Um, what else do we want from Jennifer Lopez? I mean, is there anything that she hasn't done that we feel like we want to see from her as she's kind of going to this like second wave of producer, you know, uh, extraordinaire? I will say I do kind of love, I mean, a lot of these movies that she's done and that we've talked about are sort of at this very specific mid-level budget-wise for the most part. And that Yeah, is- I like I enjoyed I enjoyed Second Act actually a little bit, I yeah. thought. You know, I don't know if you guys saw that one, but that's yeah. that was last year. Doesn't that, that, was, that movie has like a crazy twist in it? The, that's like well, all not a qua- well, it's not a crazy twist. It's essentially it's like, yeah, there are like devices in it that are insane involving it's like it's the something <laughs> no it's something it's something it's like skin it's like something like skincare that she invents and it's from this flower she has and the the like soil from this flower is has to do with like hiroshima and nagasaki and like nuclear like the nuclear is this a cameron crow film <laughs> i'm telling you that i'm it's got, know, got some serious she, Aloha she does, vibes. I was about to say, she like does, no one owns the sky. Right. <laughs> yeah, there, <laughs> there, there's something there. So, it's it, yeah, there's a lot of silly things in Second Act and, and whatever. But I don't know. I, I, found, I found myself basically enjoying, enjoying her performance. Like, her best friend in the movie um, is Leah Remini, you know, who oh, right. they're, like, best friends in real life. And so that chemistry is really good. Milo Ventimiglia is in it, who I think – they have a pretty good chemistry. So just to your point, Lucas, it's like a middle brow, middle budget movie that rarely gets made. And I just kind of enjoyed that it even exists, to be honest. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of where I come down on that. The only thing I'm looking at her IMDb, um, a Cat Koiro movie called Marry Me is in pre-production where it's Jennifer Lopez, Owen Wilson, and Sarah Silverman. A pop superstar is jilted by her rock star fiance, moments before their wedding at Madison Square Garden so she marries a random guy from the crowd instead that sounds great i that sounds pretty <laughs> fun i like cat coiro and yeah i like cat coiro so there you go that's a movie it's and then the fourth guy maybe he's the random guy is john bradley from game of thrones oh. sam samuel Tarley. Oh, okay all right that's, classic so that's, there you go that's weird yeah. that but could it, be something it, but it does feel like she this is like these types of movies, these mid-level, these mid-level budget movies are how she became a movie star. I mean, if you look at the grosses of her films, they're all pretty solid. Like there's not one that's like a huge juggernaut of a hit, but right. they all have performed well. I think movies like Anaconda, you know, probably have been played so many times on TNT. And that, all movies that wouldn't get made today. Right, exactly. Like, yeah. And I think it's like, I would love, I do love that she seems to be fighting for that like she's not doing a marvel movie she's not yeah. doing you know some other franchise film even though i'm sure she would actually be really good in a fast and the furious 
as but, like a villain. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. She, she I mean, I feel like we yeah. we say that every time we yeah, talk no, about it, what we want to do. It's like it's like what 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 could somebody do? It's like they could be yeah. a fast villain. Yeah, they'd be a good fast yeah. villain. She would be. <laughs> but I do like that she is continuing to do this, and I hope she does more of it. I would love her to still work with great directors, just yes. maybe not on their sort of biggest boondoggles with regards to people like Martin Brest or Coppola. Or I would be down to see her. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would be down to see her maybe, like, flex her TV chops a little bit better in terms of, like, you know, not Shades of Blue, but maybe I would take, you know, I, I don't think. Shades of Grey, maybe? <laughs> shades of Grey? <laughs> no, no. Uh, but, like, uh, you know, like like a, a really good anthology show or something. Get yeah. her on Mindhunter or right. something like that. Like, get her. Or have her lead the new season of, another season of Homecoming. Right, yeah. right. Something like something like that. Um, oh, that would be an, an, a new season of Homecoming. Yeah, right. that's an interesting idea the like that uh, type of role yeah yeah i mean other than that generally i think i would uh i would love to see her be able to flex comedy chops for sure a oh more. like in a in a in a spy right yeah. in something like that or in uh in like a, a horrible bosses-esque type thing where yeah. you know maybe you don't maybe you don't lean on her for like the whole thing but she just gets like a meaty awesome yeah uh funny funny role i think right i think that would be great because she is i mean yeah i don't know she's you know we were talking dan and i were talking about this the just the idea of what makes a movie star what qualifies somebody i mean whatever that it factor is she certainly has like she's very charming um and so i if 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 hustlers is the movie that i want it to be it's exactly what i want her to be doing for sure well, let's hope that's what it is. Any final J-Lo thoughts before we sign off here, guys? One other thing that would be fun to see her do, just because she's done a little bit of it, but like it would be great to see her do a sort of full-out musical. Like, obviously not Cats, but like the next... Wait, is she in Cats? No, she's Oh, okay, <laughs> good. Thank God. Um, but like the next sort of like big budgeted like Broadway adaptation, because she's obviously a great singer and she's never been used in that way. I'd be curious to see what she could do in that particular vein. Yeah, I agree. That that's funny that you even mentioned it. She kind of never really melded those two worlds, really. I would say almost to her credit. Yeah. I think I think that almost speaks to her as like a multi-hyphenate to a certain degree. Yeah. Where she's like 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 J Lo, the like actor J Lo right, is, right. is is like a separate entity. And obviously when she was becoming a star, like musicals were not made with nearly the same degree of frequency as they are now sure. but it would be interesting to see what she could do with some sort of meaty kind of part in you know whatever rob marshall that it's so yeah. funny you said rob marshall i was, was literally like, just like what if she was in chicago yeah like, right exactly like she would like, be a good, that's like how I'm she could be it. a good velma i would yeah. see that um right i mean i would hope it's maybe a little bit better than a rob marshall joint but like something <laughs> along those lines well like yeah do like a modern i don't know guys and dolls or something yeah. you know what i mean do yeah. you know something where she can you know get a little you know get a little stylish you know rewrite it so you know it's maybe not so kind of of its i time. don't know stodgy or of its time <laughs> yeah. right but yeah i think that's a good idea Lucas, where can we find you in the world? Are you on Twitter or anything I, like that? I am not really on Twitter. Instagram, LL Verga. Um, that's about it. Uh, yeah, you're just you're too busy selling films. Yeah, yeah. all yeah. over yeah. festival to festival. Exactly. All those all those fun times at if, uh, concession stands at 
film festival theaters. There where you I go. Have yeah. All my sustenance for the day. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're looking great. I feel like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I feel like me and Lucas, half of our conversations is like in between, you know, whatever, hot dogs and popcorn, yeah. at like screenings of different movies. That Yarrow like Theater Lobby. Yarrow Theater. Exactly. Now Park Avenue Lobby. If you're listening, if you're listening not too long after we posted, Lucas is most likely at the Toronto Film Festival right now. So yes. we're hoping he's enjoying himself there. Connor, where can people find you? Uh, you can find my byline occasionally on the film stage. You can find me on Twitter at Scruffy Looking uh, or on any other episode of this podcast. Yep, and you can find me on Twitter at DJ Mecca. I write for the film stage periodically as well. Um, yeah, definitely give us a rate, give us a review, comment, hit us up on Twitter. We'll probably do a poll ahead of a couple new episodes. Um, like we've mentioned, we'll have a new logo and all that stuff as soon as possible. Um, Lucas, thanks so much for being with us. It was awesome to chat JLo. Oh, and thank uh, you guys for having me. Of course. And as we usually do, we'll let Connor wrap us up with a little ditty to send us out on. Well, (laughs) you can all take the high road. I'm going to take the J low road. I feel like they get worse. Yeah. I should have, I should have let that one marinate a little bit more. Probably. Yeah. kind of like it. Yeah. It's okay. It's the end of the podcast. So they could stop listening. So we're just, what I love is we're going to fade out on all of this, which I love. Like, after this, after this. this, 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 this